Hello and welcome to Root for Each Other, a Branches podcast where we take a meaningful look at the dynamics of domestic violence and how trauma-informed, inclusive advocacy can make a difference. I'm Shannon Petrie Beckett and I am the Director of Systems Advocacy at Branches. And I am Sarah Blevins, the Director of Development at Branches. And today we're going to be talking about what domestic violence looks like in communities of color. And we have a very special guest with us today. A very special guest, someone uh, who has been a champion for survivors in our community for many, many years and a dear, dear friend of mine and somebody I look up to a great deal, um, Sharon Hornbuckle. She is a wonder, a, you know, super mom, super community advocate. Um, She was uh, an attorney at Legal Aid with a, well, I'm going to start that over, sorry. She was uh, one of my attorneys at Legal Aid and worked very closely with our survivors in family court. And then she became um, one of the assistant prosecutors in Cabell County and worked tirelessly to hold offenders accountable. Um, She is now at Cabell County Schools, and we are just so grateful to have you here today, Sharon. Thank you all. I'm excited to be here. Well, um, like I said, you are a huge advocate for survivors um, in every capacity, and uh, you're a big part of, have been a big part of our work at Branches. Um, Given your extensive experience with survivors in civil family court settings, as well as a prosecutor in criminal cases, how do you think the system either serves or fails communities of color? Communities of color, we like to keep things, as I say, in-house. A lot of people do not want outsiders involved in issues that are going on in their home. They don't want uh, other people, the police, the fuzz, knowing the issues that we have. Sometimes there are other issues that are going on. They don't want the police to be called. There could be uh, men or women that are on probation of other criminal issues that are outstanding. And it's not just the people of color, but... If I call about this issue, they're going to find out about this, or then they're going to realize about this. Um, they tend to tell family more often. It's an, it's an embarrassment factor, especially with the community. And Huntington's a very small uh, community. Every black person pretty much knows every other black person in Huntington. Mm-hmm. So you know if it gets out that you've been abused or this person is being abused, everybody in Huntington's going to be abused. And you always don't want to know that. Uh, I have dealt with the police, and they, they do try very hard to work with our women and our men that are um, being abused. Uh, they, they come, they, they tend to know the frequent fires and, and they're okay with that. They tend to know how to deal with them. They know what to say. They tend to know if this person it has other activities that could affect them and they, they tend to just shy away from those and deal with what they are faced with at the time. Um, so I, I do think that they are helpful in this area. I do think that um, those of us of color need to know that it's not uh, embarrassment, but it's something that everybody goes through, regardless of your color, your race, your ethnicity, your uh, uh, economic status, where you live, what, whatever, everybody has to deal with it. We have to be more comfortable with getting it out there that this can happen to anybody, and it's okay, and if you need help, you need to call, and, and they will help you. Right. There's there's such uh, so many cultural factors uh, that you brought up, and I, I really appreciate that. You are always 
um, just working with survivors, even, you know, as a prosecutor, there were times that, you know, uh, you were a, a better advocate than the advocates, you know, you out advocate me. Um, but to be able to connect with people in that way, um, and that I think can make the difference in overcoming some of those, you know, fears and anxieties that are well, um, I need to start that over. Sorry. Um, that can really make a difference. That's what advocacy does. It, um, tries to break down barriers and, you know, let people know that it's okay to seek help and that there is, like you said, there's no shame in being abused. I think as advocates, we spend a lot of time thinking about like reducing the stigma and um, maintaining confidentiality. But I think you bring up just such a great point. It's really important to remember that for some people, there are real consequences when their confidentiality is broken within their communities. And um, even just the idea that sometimes it's just a smaller community where word gets out easier. I think that's just such a great point to think about while we're building strategies to maintain confidentiality and reduce stigma. Um, okay, Sharon, so here's uh, something that I want to ask you. Over the course of the last few years, we've seen systemic racism specifically within law enforcement systems justifiably vocalized and brought to the forefront of American consciousness. So how do you think the systemic racism complicates the process of seeking services for people of color? And I think I kind of touched on that previously, but I mean, you, you have the fear of, if I call the police, there's a lot of women, and or men, I'm gonna say women, a lot of women and or men that are abused at the time when they're calling the police, they just want that abuser gone. They don't want them right. in jail, usually. Right. The first, growing the first seven to 10 times. They don't want them in jail. They don't want them hurt. They don't want them beat up by the police. And they surely do not want them shot. So you have this in the back of your mind. If I call the police or this person, it's a man of color, he could be shot and he could be killed. I mean, now once they get to the point where they are ready to move on, then maybe they may want to call the police and they okay with whatever happens. But at that time, when they are not ready and they're not there, they don't want their fear. They don't want to hurt at that point. They just want to be gone. They want the fear gone. They want the tension gone. The, the act that's going on at that moment just to stop. So that's a big barrier. If I call them, they're going to have another George Floyd or uh, Breonna Taylor, that they're not going to come, right. back, come back. And then how does that affect you the rest of your life? Granted, mm -hmm. they're going for the things you have no business and no right to do. But because I called the police just to get my abuser away from me or just to get out of the house or just to get my kids somewhere safe, and especially if they share a child with that person, this person is now dead because I called the police just trying to be safe. So we, we need more training for officers about the situation. We need uh, more accountability. Uh, these things need to happen so they feel comfortable in knowing that I can call the police my partner will be alive at the end of this call. The police will do what they're supposed to do. People will go to jail, people serve his time, tips, whatever the courts decide needs to happen. But knowing that just because I call, it's not a death sentence. It's something that we need just to feel comfortable. Oh, absolutely. You want to talk about added burden to survivors, um, you know, 
we we try and explain that and, and try and uh, train law enforcement. Um, there's so many reasons why a survivor might not want to seek help. Um, but truly, if you don't feel safe or don't feel like, you know, your partner will be safe to call the police, that's... Um, you know, that's that's going to have an effect on, on whether or not you seek help. Um, it, it reminds me of um, a story from last year. I mean, Megan the Stallion, she got shot in the foot and didn't, you know, when the police got there, didn't tell them, didn't tell them. It can, it, can you even imagine? Because, and she, you know, it and just I mean, speaks. You love, that person. you love that person. That person is doing immeasurable wrong acts at that time, but they still love that person. I think that is something that I, I was just about to bring up. Sometimes something that I think is a little bit misunderstood about domestic violence as an issue is that like we're not talking about people that just one day they woke up and they hate this abuser. Maybe they do have strong feelings, but most of the time they love that abusive person and they don't want to see them come to harm. They just want them to stop. Exactly like you is. said. That's all it is. We know that you now work in education, which is just such an exciting field. Um, and I just wondered if you could speak to how the adultification of black children influences the way that we respond to relationship abuse in communities of color. Hmm. Um, I have talked in that to my friend. I was saying, mom, I have a young male black son who's biracial, but I mean, he looks like me and most of my family is, is black. Um, and just about how our black men need to be shown love. Um, I've had people, I, I love him, my son, he is Five, six, 140 pounds, or 11 and a half of men's shoes, and he'll be 11 on February 5th. But I still uh-huh. love on him and give him all these things. They need to know um, they're not adults. They are, they're babies. He's still 10, he's still 11. They, yeah. they should not have to be adults. And part of them having to be adults is the fact that we have to have these conversations, especially with my son, who's a large black man, at a very young age, I probably interact with the police. I mean, you could be shot. How mommy worries every day that if, if you're mistaken for somebody else or something goes wrong, um, something drastic could happen. I am blessed. I know many of the officers in this community, the big officers know me, and they know my son as well. But I, I hope and pray that when he goes to college or out of this area, the officers aren't going to know me. They're not going to know that strong. Um, and he's big. He's going to be big. He's going to stay big. And he looks threatening and, and he. And to people. So I, I've had to have these conversations with him at a very early age. And, and another with boys, uh, I've had to have conversations about sexual assault with him. I'm very open with my son. I, I talked to him. Um, we were watching one episode, and the girl had, had been uh, drinking and using illegal substances, and she had just been all over the boys. I said, Well, mommy, she was all over them. I said, You know what? That doesn't matter. I said, If a girl tells you no, before, during, or after, I said, you stop immediately. I said, you have to do these mm-hmm. things. So we have to, and I know, I think the question had been presented initially about women, but I have experience with my son and how I have mm-hmm. to have these conversations. He's not even out of elementary school, but these serious end-up conversations that will not only protect him, protect other women, and hopefully he will talk to his friends because that's the last thing you want are these kids talking amongst each other and relaying information is incorrect. I want him to know the truth and the way things are. But he, he is still a baby, so I still have to kind of break it down into baby terms, and I still have to treat him like a baby. And we still have to treat 
our young men as, as, as children. He has chores, he has responsibilities. But in our community, a lot of boys are being raised by single moms. So they're the man of the house. And I do utilize him as the man of the house, but at the end of the day, he's still my son. I still take care of him. He is still just a child. And we've got to keep that in our mind. Because once we give them the love and show them the respect they need, they can grow up and do that towards their partner, their wife, later in life. If they don't have, if they haven't received that love, and I've come across that time and time again, if they haven't received that love, come on, grandmother, whoever's raising them, they don't know how to give it. They don't know how to share it. They don't know who to give it to. That's when we run into the abuse. That's when we run into all the issues that we see because they have never received that love and don't know how to give it to somebody else. I think that I think I went everywhere. <laughs> no, um, this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. I, I a couple of things that I want to pull out of what you just said. Um, I think the scariest thing about adultifying, if that's a real word, um, children of color, is that it denies them the chance to have those years of love and learning that create. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to share one thing. First, let me just say this. I love teachers. I admire them. I think they're the greatest people on the earth. But we all have work to do. And I think that something that I have seen happen is that, you know, a, a black child will act out in a classroom exactly the same way that a white counterpart child would act out. But instead of like a teacher signaling to themselves, like, I need to ask that child what's wrong, then it's just like, oh, we should severely discipline this child of color because we got to get rid of that behavior. It, it's it's there's a dichotomy in the way that the in the way that they're treated and I think that that's where we really see that adultification happening and then please go ahead oh, and then okay so the the last thing that I was gonna say about that is that um, the reason that I targeted this question to girls I think it's very interesting in light of the angry black woman stereotype that seems to just be pervasive in our culture because if we are like categorizing young black women as angry black women we're like kind of indicating that they're provoking this type of negative behavior in teen dating violence relationships and it's much easier to dismiss it if we have a mindset that, it, that they're provoking it somehow so it's just like an extended form of victim blaming Oh, I completely agree, and I have been so excited um, the nights, and I try to stay um, bipartisan in my politics, but the nights um, that uh, well, President Biden now um, was named President-elect, and Kamala was in DP-elect, my son came downstairs, and I was literally in tears, also doing the holy dance and praising God. I mean, Holy Ghost not all through my house, and I have a very close friend of mine, his little girl, and I bought a shirt for him to say, well, DP looks like me, and I have folks that say that there's a girl headed to the White House because regardless of the fact that she's a black woman and aka just like Miss Lee, but she's also a woman who has never had a woman in the White House. And she having her young black woman see this person, you don't understand. I never saw a Barbie doll like myself until I was in middle school. I never had a Disney princess. And people I didn't have a Disney princess until um the princess in the world. And like that's like a real Disney story. But I was super excited and I was Twenty-five years old. That hey, there's finally a black in the movies. And I, my son used to watch when school was out last spring. Gunsmoke and his old shows. He's like, "Mommy, Gigi only watches shows with white people." And I have to explain to him that oh, there wow. were black people on the show then. It was the Waltons. It was, it was different shows like that. I said maybe there weren't black people for her to watch. 
I said, so that's why she gets to watch me show. But as far as um, the angry black woman, I think that, and even Kamala got that when she did the um, uh, mm-hmm. debate that mm-hmm. I'm speaking. I've said that for years. I'm talking to talk over me. I, I'm hoping and praying that having her in the position that she's in will show it's not an angry black woman. We are assertive. Um, we are intelligent. We've done the same things you all have done, and we deserve the same amount of respect that you have you give anybody else. Um, you, you do hear that. You hear that from black men. You hear that from white guys that we're too difficult to deal with. I'm not difficult. I just I am not going to deal with uh, a lot of malarkey. I do not have the time for it. <laughs> and, right. And I, I don't have the need to deal with it. And, and that's how they feel. That's how they feel. But that does not make us angry. We, we, it's just it, it, we've dealt with a lot. We've dealt with a lot. And so, so I told my son, I said, I've never thought I'd see this in my life. Because our children that are just going on the group with Obama, they have no idea that what a milestone that was. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's like I never thought I'd call, see a woman in the White House, much less a black woman in the White House. I said, this is just, I, I mean, I, I'm still, I get goosebumps. I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of this country. I'm, I'm hoping that see, just, just seeing things. And I'll have to forge you all a picture of habit. So I'm like, looking at a at small one she was thinking for him. You get to see people that look like you. And you can do this. She's not an athlete. She's not a singer. She's not an actress. She's an attorney. She is smart. She is the wife of the United And you can reach for that. They need to know that you can do whatever you want to be. You're not stuck, especially in this area. You're not stuck here. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. You don't have to follow the stereotype of, I'm going to say, being a baby mama, doing those things. No, you, you do what you need to do. You can you can reach for the stars. I expect you to reach for the stars. And I want our young women of color and not of color around here to reach for the stars. Um, Sharon, can I ask you a quick question that is not on our list? <laughs> you can ask me anything. Okay. I'm going to go back to the police, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you think that maybe there is uh, like a part of why it's difficult for women of color to seek services is because it's important to be that representation of strength in their families, in their communities. Um, they're afraid that like reaching out for help might paint them as not strong or not having strength. Obviously, that's a mistaken opinion, but. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you look at slavery, I mean, we were, we, we, we cooked the meals, we were the slaves. We, we breastfed the children. We were the master's mistresses. We have been. The, 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 the strength, the woman for so many years. So when you get to the point of, I need help, it's hard. Shannon knows, I was, you know, every, I, I, not, I've been very vocal about it, but I am a survivor. Um, college educated, both my parents college educated, upper middle class. Um, no reason, no rhyme or reason why I, I didn't need to stay with this person. I had my own income. I had my own house. I love this person. And so I went through the seven to 14 times of being abused and speak, uh, reaching out to police. I do remember one time specifically, and I didn't call the cops for a long time after that. He said, if you don't do something, we're going to take your child. This was thing after my child was born. I did leave him myself as free because I didn't want him to continue to do that. So we're going to take the child. Well, that's terrifying. Yeah. I'm calling you for help. I need help, and you're threatening to take my child. Yes, I knew better. Yes, I know better. But you can't, I mean, and so it's, 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 it's a lot. And I'm strong. And that's what I would tell people when I work at the prosecutor's office. And at least, what if I look at me, do you think I would be abused? No. Well, honey, I was. 
for seven years, kept going back. You think they're going to change? They don't. It's not going to change. You have to take that step and you have to move on. But it, it is hard when you think that. And so I didn't call the police for a long time after that because getting my brains knocked out or losing my child, guess what? I'll just fill the stitches in the book right. because I want to keep my kids. But that's a bad way to look at it because what? What's this job? It's 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 a thing. We just have to do better. We have to do better. Mm-hmm. We have to be more patient. We have to be more understanding. We have to be more empathetic. I want to tell people, sure, what'd you do to him? Excuse me? <laughs> what did I do to him? Nothing. I, I I'm sorry. And and we've done well. And like I said, I love our officers around here. And that's why I never want to mm-hmm. bash um, our officers or even we're talking about the school, bash the school. I'm not saying that the school. I worked in Montauk for 35 years in California schools. I work closely with our administrators. I have not seen that um, any child be disciplined uh, fairly because of their race. Um, I know they try to. Our, our system is very good. We work with um, the local courts to, to know what's going on with these kids. And that's what I did about the juvenile things and that's to know hey, mom's on drugs, or dad's on drugs, or grandma's raising this kid, or this, that, the other. We try to figure out what's going on with We do want to get to the of what the issue is. There, there is a reason why we're this way. We always do that. And we try to figure out what it is. Because at the end of the day, we need them to graduate. We need them to graduate with a diploma. We need them to graduate through the technical center. We need for them to be able to grow up and be productive in the society and get back to this area or whatever area they decide they want to live. But we, we do try to focus on the whole child in order to get prepared for life. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Sharon. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, truly, we've talked about representation, but I and I'm always that person, like representation matters so much. But truly, you know, watching little girls see a black South Asian woman of color as the the vice president of the United States, but also, you know, like you mentioned, when you were a prosecutor. In little Cabell County, West Virginia, you were a representation saying like, hey, officers I work with every day, do you think I would stay? You know, that's just so brave of you to share in that way and to, you know, give voice to all those survivors um, that are misunderstood in so many ways. So for that, I'm forever grateful to you. <laughs> At the end of the day, we want to constantly be moving toward, you know, uh, providing the best services in our, you know, our ability to survive. Sorry, I keep having to do this with questions. So at the end of the day, we want to be moving forward. We want to provide the best services we can provide. We want to reach as many survivors as we can. Um, how do you think we can better serve and reach out to communities of color? What can we do better? I think just the presence. Um, COVID has put a wrench of everything right now. It's really hard to get out and, and see people and, and know what's going on. I mean, we've had our I mean, domestic violence reports have gone down, child abuse reports have gone down. Um, mental health uh, reports have gone out, and they have not disappeared. If anything, they probably increased substantially, and those that did not realize they had these issues prior to have now uh, have now developed these issues. Uh, just the presence when COVID is over, really, sometimes soon, uh, 
We have our Juneteenth festivals. We have different things at A.D. Lewis and in the community. We need to see you all there, even if it's just with a purple shirt or I love free stuff. I'm not saying all black people love free stuff, but I love free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, give out some good free stuff. We all love with free stuff. On, yeah, with branches on it. Um, yeah, we'll just help. Um, maybe come into the schools. We have our talks with our um, fifth graders uh, about the birds and the bees. We sell birds and the bees and domestic violence and some other things in there when we're talking about that. Because, I mean, that all falls in line with the birds and bees. Once we start thinking about different things, mm-hmm. all that starts to come together. Um, even coming to churches, you're always welcome um, to my church. We're not in person yet again, but coming to churches, I know many ministers. I know we have our um, politicians that come during election season, but if you all want to come and want to speak, um, it may be somebody there that has a friend or relative that will give them a card. Um, I know we have the cards and bathrooms, but just, just having the presence around. Um, I know I'm there. I know I'm my cousin's on the board. I know my other cousin is very vocal um, concerning branches, and we always, if there's anybody, black, white, red, purple, if they have an issue, I'm referring them to you, and you all know I will call you directly, and I will give them the help they need, but just having the presence and knowing that um, you all are there. So once we get all of this cleared up, just having y'all hang out with us sometimes uh, <laughs> <laughs> will be great. Yes, we will hang out anytime. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just because I feel like I'm always the one saying this, but um, we do have school program programming for every age group, um, K through 12. So anytime you want us to come and have a chat, we are so open to that. Thank you. They need it. They, they, our babies, I call them babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're under 18, they're babies. So I'm yeah. <laughs> um, our babies do so much more than they need to see every day. And, and our babies, once they have the knowledge, they'll use it better than adults. So I'll definitely um, pass that along. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sharon. My pleasure. Thank you. We so, so, so enjoyed having you. And it's always it's always good to catch up. Um, I miss and faces. I miss you, too. Um, <laughs> I know. COVID, man. <laughs> It's rough. All right. Well, thank you again so, so much, Sharon. Branches Domestic Violence Shelter has been serving the communities of Cabell, Wayne, Lincoln, Mason, and Putnam counties for 40 years. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the Branches Hotline 24-7 at 304-529-2382. If you are in an emergency, dial 911. Branches is proud to serve all. Special thanks to the editors. And hey, everybody, go out and root for each other.